0: From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Among the interfaith leaders across the country who joined together for the inaugural National Prayer Service last week, a referent from Longmont.
1: You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings.
0: We'll talk with Reverend Paula Stone Williams about this moment in history and what she hopes will be a lasting message to President Biden. Then, as public health directors face a backlash from some people angry about pandemic restrictions, they're also trying to move forward for the public good.
2: We're all together, and so
3: wherever we are, we want to be sure people are vaccinated.
0: Plus, for teenagers, the pandemic can take away more than just in-person learning.
3: I really miss being able to go swimming. I was on my school swim team. I miss being able to do marching band. The
2: largest source of support for Colorado Public Radio comes from members across our state. I'm from Denver. Aurora,
4: Glenwood Springs.
2: Grand Junction. Boulder. Ranch. With your donation, you connect your city to nonprofit journalism, to inspiring stories, and you connect your community to a wide range of music that fills our daily life. These recent months have been tough for everyone, but month after month, donors continue to step up. Thank you for your support.
0: This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Avery Lill. Interfaith leaders across the country rang in the new presidency of Joe Biden last Thursday at the 59th inaugural National Prayer Service. The speakers ran the gamut of different cultures, religions, and regions of the country, from Navajo Nation leaders to Sikh activists to Reverend Paula Stone Williams of Longmont's Left Hand Church, who read this passage at the service
1: you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings.
0: Paula, welcome back to the show.
1: Oh, it's so good to be with you today, thanks. Why this passage? You know, I think we are more polarized than we've been, certainly since the time of the Civil War. And we know that people do change their minds, that people do come together, but only when new information comes to them in a non-threatening way. And so how do we, in fact, repair these broken walls that we have in our nation. How do we get back to the point where we're all living on the figurative same street and where we're not shouting at each other from across town but talking with each other on the front porch. We're a narrative-based species. You know, we don't we don't sleep without dreaming and we don't dream in mathematical equations, we dream in stories. Hmm. And so it's our conviction that if we can just tell our stories to one another, one to one on that front porch that we can in fact break down the barriers, and rebuild the connections that we once had between us. You know, it wasn't so long ago that Republicans and Democrats could work together. And I think we can get back to that, but it's going to have to happen one story at a time, one person at a time. So walls in
0: this vision are not division, but they're something that shelters I wonder, with President Biden watching, did you ever feel like you were speaking directly to him with this passage? Were you trying to tell him something about these things as a leader?
1: Well, it was my privilege to serve on the LGBTQ plus faith leaders uh, committee that worked during the campaign and also worked uh, during the transition. And so, yeah, we we definitely had things that we wanted to talk about. And of course, we were looking forward to doing it live. It's done in the beautiful National Cathedral every four years. Uh, this year, we didn't know if it was going to be live or not. And of course, right after January 6th, it was obvious it would not be live. And so, I wouldn't get a chance to meet the president and vice president. But we know that uh, President Biden is very strongly with our concerns, the concerns of progressive faith leaders in America, uh, that we that we bring people back together instead of tearing them apart.
0: And there were many faiths and cultures represented at
1: this service. Tell me how that felt. I loved it. And the one thing that I noticed that we all had in common was in one way or another, we were all talking about loving God, loving neighbor, and loving self. And the truth is, you can't love God and neighbor unless you can love yourself. And I loved that God was presented as uh, someone who's beyond our understanding. And so that each one of us coming from our own faith traditions have our own understanding of God.
0: And you mentioned that you were part of the LGBTQ plus faith-based initi- in, uh, initiative and that you worked on the interfaith team during the Biden campaign. Tell me a little bit more specifically about what you've done in these roles.
1: I spoke for a number of events leading up to the election. I've never actually been that much of a political person in the past, but this year I felt like it was extremely important, particularly for the LGBTQ plus community. We lost so many rights over the last four years. And so one of the things we wanted to make sure was that coming straight out of the gate, our new president would be focused on LGBTQ issues, particularly on transgender issues. Because at the present time, 28 states have laws that they are trying to pass that would take away transgender rights within those states. And thanks to our own chief uh, or our own justice who came onto the Supreme Court. Uh, Neil Gorsuch, of course, who's from Colorado. uh, People did not expect that he would end up voting in favor of giving us rights, which of course happened last year. Uh, Those who who knew him here knew that he's very LGBTQ affirming. But we still, even with that decision by the Supreme Court that gave us legal rights we did not have before to not be fired from jobs, it, it didn't stop states from making their own decisions. And and of course, there were a lot of executive orders as well. And immediately, the new president has gotten to work changing those just a couple of days, of course, allowing transgender people back into the military.
0: you were one of just a couple of pastors representing evangelicalism at this event. What did that mean to you?
1: You know, my entire tradition is in the evangelical world. And while it's true that only 36% of the evangelical population are supportive of LGBTQ rights, 51% of millennial evangelicals are, there's a shift taking place in the more conservative Christian world. And so Jen Hatmaker and I were both representatives from that world, although that world doesn't much claim us anymore uh, because we actually are a good bit more liberal than a lot of their churches are. But at the same time, it's nice to come from that tradition uh, knowing that there is, in fact, a generosity in that tradition that just hasn't shown itself in the last 20 years or so. I'm convinced that we're getting back in the right direction.
0: And Biden is now the second Catholic president in U.S. history. He's been very open with how important that is to him. How do you think his personal commitment to religion will play into his
1: presidency? You know, when you take a look at the Catholic Church, it's actually a lot of different churches. And as is typical of, of strong Catholic presence in the northeastern United States, all the way from Washington up to the Boston area, Roman Catholicism in that part of the world tends to be a little bit more liberal uh, than it does out here. And so you find a lot more interest in individual rights, uh, of the right of a woman to choose, for instance, uh, LGBTQ rights, things that you don't hear from the Catholic bishops in America. And so what I think we'll see is a robust Christian faith that is more liberal in its expression.
0: And there is no question that religion does play a role in politics. So tell me more about what you've seen in recent years and what you would like to see.
1: There's no question that we are, in fact, spiritual people, whether we want to recognize it or not. When you think about what caused us to take off as a species, it's when we move from the level of blood kin to the level of the tribe. And what caused us to come together as a tribe? It wasn't our desire for safety. It was man's search for meaning. We've been searching for meaning for a very, very long time. It's a part of the essence of what we are as a species. And so the fact that we would come together in a spiritual way to search for meaning is something that's traditionally been a part of our species in the. US all too often it's become a problem, an area for polarization where the church has often even led the way. And so when you think back what was holding up the changes in slavery, it was the church, particularly the church in the South, because they believing was that the Bible made room for slavery. I mean, you had the same thing going on back in 400 years ago when poor Galileo was placed under house arrest because he believed that the earth revolved around the sun. And who placed him there? It was the Catholic church. So the church has always lagged behind. Unfortunately, over the last 50 years, since the beginning of the moral majority, we've seen conservative religion take more and more of a political stance. They started by running for school boards, and then for town councils, and then for state representatives, then Congress, and really have gained a lot of power that they've chosen to use politically at the far right of the spectrum. That is relatively recent, really starting in the 1980s. And I think we need to see a move back in the other direction, as well as those of us who are a little more on the left side of things, to become even more involved to counter that influence.
0: And how do you feel like Biden's presidency will directly impact your life?
1: It makes me a lot safer from the beginning. My civil rights are more intact. It was a tough four years. People felt, I think, emboldened from the president himself, to be able to say terrible and awful things to those of us in the LGBTQ plus community, to show prejudice to us in ways I had not seen before that. And so I expect that we're going to see a kinder, gentler America, to use words of Bush 41.
0: Paula, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Love being with you, Avery.
0: Rev. Paula Stone-Williams from Left Hand Church of Longmont, she spoke at last week's inaugural national prayer service. She also has a book coming out in June titled, As a Woman, What I Learned About Power, Sex, and the Patriarchy After I Transitioned. Angry social media campaigns, protests outside their homes, even death threats. Local public health leaders are usually low profile, but in this pandemic, many of them, especially in rural areas, are the public faces of the shutdown. And as CPR's
2: Andrea Dukakis reports, that's made them into targets. It was another week of constant work, no sleep, irate citizens. In December, near the holidays, Megan Hillman decided she needed something, anything, to feel good in her job as public health director. I went out and gave vaccine at the nursing home because we are beat down. Hillman was a physician assistant in her old life. Now she heads up public health in rural Prowers and Kiowa counties on the Eastern Plains.
5: We were crying, like happy crying.
2: It's so nice to be able to Do something that is appreciated, and you're told thank you. Hillman hasn't heard a lot of thank yous since the pandemic began. She has gotten angry letters, emails, threats about COVID-19 restrictions, one threat the sheriff and district attorney investigated. On the other side of the state, the threats came home for Leanne Jelon. She's the public health director for La Plata and Archuleta counties in the southwest, a career she took up after being a social worker and a nurse. Earlier this month, she was working at home on a Zoom call with local officials.
5: But then I kind of heard just some voices and something that I couldn't quite make out. And then I heard a loud banging. And so at the loud banging, I went into my window.
2: Outside, she saw about 20 protesters and six feet from her door, there was a man holding a huge sign that said, end the lockdown. And he was yelling, a bad person lives here. She told the officials on Zoom what was happening, then hung up and called the chief of police. Law enforcement came. Jalan says the protesters left after a few hours. There were no arrests.
5: I don't love being in this pandemic any more than anybody else. I don't love wearing masks. I miss seeing my friends and family. I miss going over to people's houses. I miss hugging people. I miss eating at restaurants. But this is my job. And if I didn't do the things that I'm doing as a public health director, I would be negligent in my duties.
2: Ironically, Jelan says, she's also faced threats from people who don't think the COVID-19 restrictions go far enough. Jelan has faced this outpouring of anger for many months, just like her counterpart in Gunnison County, Joni Reynolds. Police have been monitoring threats against her since April. On the day of the insurrection in D.C., Reynolds heard about a new post on social media.
3: I mean, they just talked about... um you know, what to do with me and whether they should sue me or whether they should have a protest at my house or whether they should hang me from a branch of justice.
2: Stories like these from Reynolds, Jalon, and Hillman have led to what one public health official calls a brain drain since the pandemic began. Of 53 public health agencies in the state, about a quarter of their directors have left. That trend has caught the attention of state lawmakers like Democratic Representative Yadira Caraveo of Thornton. In the middle of a pandemic. It's really concerning to lose
1: that expertise because these individuals aren't allowed to do their jobs safely because they're having to worry about if somebody's going to target their family or
4: themselves.
2: Caraveo plans to sponsor a bill to protect the personal information of state and local health care workers. It won't fix the problem altogether, especially in the short term. But Leanne Gelant says she plans to see COVID through.
5: There is a job that needs to get done. We have a mission right now. I am committed to seeing through that mission.
2: And to seeing an end to COVID-19 in Southwest Colorado. For CPR News, I'm Andrea Dukakis.
0: This backlash from the COVID-19 pandemic is just one of the enormous challenges officials like Leanne Jelon face. Andrea joins us now with some insights into how these rural counties are handling the vaccine rollout. Hi, Andrea. Hey, Avery. Andrea, it strikes me that many people might not have paid much attention to public health departments before the pandemic, but that is not the case anymore.
2: Yeah, that's very true. And this isn't just Colorado. Public health directors all over the country are facing this backlash. And these are people that do a lot in their communities in normal times. Workers track illnesses. They manage immunizations, educate the public about health. They also deal with things like emergency preparedness and food safety. Megan Hillman, who you heard from earlier, heads up public health for two counties on the Eastern Plains. She says in the last several years, these departments have faced huge budget cuts.
0: I don't even know the right adjective to describe how underfunded public health was before this pandemic. So now this group of very caring human beings who worked behind the curtain to make the community healthier are thrust out into the spotlight with not near enough money to do their regular job, oh, plus the full-time job that happens to be covid
2: I think people who work in the field hope there's a silver lining here, that at least some people will recognize their value and that there's a lack of funding in these departments. Although, as we heard, others definitely don't see it that way. So how is the vaccine distribution going in these counties? The advent of vaccines in Colorado has obviously been a source of great optimism for most people. It's also meant additional burdens for public health. Some small public health departments told me they finished vaccinating frontline health care workers early. Then they took it upon themselves to vaccinate seniors in their nursing homes. In general, those will be done through this federal partnership. But when these smaller counties wanted to move on to other groups, the state wanted them to wait for larger counties. So Joni Reynolds, again, she's the head of public health in Gunnison County, she says... What happens if counties like hers complete the current priority group, those 70 and up, before larger urban areas? She's worried that the state won't let them move on to other groups like people with pre-existing conditions.
3: I think that would be frustrating for us to have to slow down to wait for other counties to catch up. But at the same time, we're all together. And so wherever we are, we want to be sure people are vaccinated.
2: Right now, though, the big problem has been trying to get more vaccine into the state, and that's as large health systems have ramped up their ability to administer more vaccines but just aren't getting enough.
0: What about concerns that distributing the vaccines
2: equitably in the state? The state has talked quite a bit about how to do this and what's going on. Right. And in the southwest corner of the state, Public Health Director Leanne Jelan says that's one of her key goals. For her counties, it means getting to people who've been hardest hit by the virus. Many are poor, people of color. And some live in remote areas and aren't connected to a hospital system. The state has been holding vaccine fairs in some of these rural parts of the state, like in the San Luis Valley, to try to get to some of these people. Groups are also holding drive through clinics in urban areas. Servicios de la Raza has one scheduled this weekend in Denver and is distributing information about it in Spanish. At the same time,
0: we've heard reports that the state numbers show big racial disparities when it comes to who has
2: gotten the vaccine and who hasn't. Right. Data show about 68 percent of those vaccinated in Colorado have been white. That's in line with the population. Uh, but while Black Coloradans make up just under 4% of the state's population. They represent fewer than 2% of people vaccinated in the state. Latinos, just under 22% of Colorado's population, account for 4% of those in the state who've gotten vaccines. The numbers are complicated. Lots of those receiving early vaccines were frontline health care workers. Many are white. But even when you look at the, just the 70 plus group, there are large disparities. And there, There's some data, though, to suggest that Blacks and Latinos are less trusting of the vaccines, so that might be a factor, too. As far as getting more vaccines into the state of Colorado, when will that be? Well, that's very unclear. The demand is way higher in many states than what they're being given. But the hope is Colorado starts getting more vaccines soon and can expand the groups eligible for it that will likely mean some more confusion. Megan Hellman on the Eastern Plains predicts more chaos when groups like essential workers and people with pre-existing conditions are brought into this mix.
1: There's so many
0: questions that need to be answered when you talk about essential worker. Who is that? Um, chronic conditions, like what? You know, so there's just a lot still being worked through.
2: And that's definitely the case. A lot still has to be worked through.
0: Thank you, Andrea.
2: Thanks. CPR's Andrew Dukakis is part
0: of the team covering COVID-19 in Colorado. Now let's hear from a coffee shop owner in southern Colorado about his efforts to take care of his employees as the pandemic continues.
6: My name is uh, Michael Hartkopf and I'm from Solar Roast Coffee, a uh, coffee roaster in Pueblo, Colorado. And so we've got three really nice retail stores and we also have a coffee roasting business where we sell coffee to grocery stores across the country. We went from having really great trade year over year trends up to almost no business. I didn't sleep for weeks. I would go to work at 2 a.m. just to go see if there's anything I could do. I was reading news to try to find any sort of federal help. pretty much called every single person that worked for me and said, hey, I don't know if we have any ships left. I don't know what we're going to do. Just bear with me. We're going to try to get through this. Since I was up at 2 a.m., I was writing PPP grants. I kicked in $20,000 of my own money to make payroll to pay people. And once the PPP came in, I just called everybody and said, look, you've got a job. I'm paying you. I don't know if I'm going to see you for two months, but you've got a paycheck for two months because I can afford to pay you for two months. Rain or shine, we're all getting paid and we'll reassess the situation. I'm pretty good with uncertainty. It's been my way of life for all this time. It, it feels terrible, but I'm, I'm kind of well suited for this. And now the rest of the world is in it with me. And so the camaraderie is there. And if I've got a whole network of people that I'm, that I'm supposed to look after, they're idled, you know, they're they're going to fall apart. And that's, that's it's my responsibility. Our, our responsibility is to our community, and our responsibility is to all the people that work for me first. My responsibility is to my employees and to keep them employed. And so if I can work and I can figure out how to get more people employed, I'm going to do it because that's my job, my task. I wrote out the first, you know, the crash, the Great Recession, which – now is laughable and it's fine it's this is it's going to be fine i wake up and i freak out and then i have three lattes and it's going to be fine
0: mike Hartkop of pueblo his story is part of a series on how coloradans are doing financially almost a year into the pandemic our thanks to cpr news reporter haley sanchez for producing mike's story after the break how teens are navigating disappointment in the pandemic This is Colorado Matters from CPR News.
4: As coronavirus continues to spread,
7: the vaccine is rolling out across the state, and CPR News has what you need to know. You'll find complete coverage online, including our always up-to-date guide to different phases of vaccine distribution statewide and county-by-county help on how to make appointments. Just go to CPR.org slash coronavirus. During
0: the pandemic, teens are missing sports, internships, dances, and so much more. Tomorrow, CPR and Call to Mind from American Public Media are hosting a free virtual event. We're talking with teens and youth mental health experts about tangible setbacks they face and solutions they've found to care for their mental health. Leading up to the event, we've been sharing the teen panelist's stories. Jack Rogoff is a 16-year-old from Lakewood, Colorado. For three years, he's been a peer leader for the suicide prevention program Sources of Strength in his high school. Before the pandemic, he visited other homerooms and led activities to help strengthen students' support networks and raise awareness about mental health resources.
3: We had people write down a name of a trusted adult or teacher in the building. And it was on a little piece of paper that was shaped like a feather. And we put all of them together into these two giant wings. And then people could take pictures with the wings and post them on social media to show that we all have trusted adults and different people in the building that we can go to in times of need.
0: During the pandemic, he still leads activities online and on social media.
3: It's a lot harder because now... You know, there's people who have their cameras off and they don't want to listen, so they just zone you out. And it's, it's a lot different than being in a classroom environment.
0: Still, for Jack, the core of peer leadership is the same.
3: I just try to be a person that other people can talk to because I've had times in my life where I felt like I didn't have anybody to talk to. And my biggest goal is to make sure that nobody else gets to that place where they feel helpless.
0: Jack spoke with me about the experiences that inspired him to become a Sources of Strength leader and about how the pandemic has affected his own mental health.
3: My mental health journey is one that is long with lots of twists and turns. Growing up as a kid, I was a really happy, extroverted kid. I love to make people laugh. I still do. It's one of my favorite things when I see people smile or laugh. But when I was in third grade, I started getting bullied. And in sixth grade, it started happening a lot more often. And a lot of mental health issues I've had have rose from that. Bullying affects so many kids nowadays. And since I was very quiet about what happened, I didn't do a lot of things. And so a lot of times when my mental health wasn't good, I didn't tell anybody, which just made it worse. But it's something that I'm trying to fix. And one of my biggest New Year's resolutions this year was to get more help with my mental health. Just a lot of my past things that have happened, it's just a way to show that I can overcome that and be a better person and I can grow from it. So mental health issues, even though they've been a big part of my life, they don't define me as a person. And I think that's really important and something that a lot of people should take away.
0: I love that perspective. Are you comfortable sharing a little bit about what the bullying looked like for you?
3: So personally, for me, it was a lot of name calling. Growing up, I was called a lot of things that went about my weight. And that was a lot of it. But I mean, a good portion of it was some people using derogatory slurs towards people who aren't straight because I acted flamboyant as a kid. And so a lot of people just judge me for the way that I acted without getting to know me. I had this extroverted personality and a lot of people wouldn't take the time to actually get to know my personality and they just be like, well, that kid is weird. So we're going to pick on him. And I noticed for myself, a lot of changes that happened were between seventh and eighth grade because I lost a lot of weight. I grew a lot. My voice dropped because puberty is the thing that happens. And I just changed a lot as a person. And I still wanted to be a person that made other people happy, but I was a lot quieter because I didn't feel the need to express myself as much. And it's, it's kind of sad in a way, but it's formed me into the person I am where I try to rail it back a little bit and um, still be me, but not be annoying to others.
0: That's a lot to have had to have deal with. Tell me about connecting with resources, with sources of strength, part of that, or are there other ways that you found support? Because I know you said you had a hard time finding support, especially in middle school.
3: One of my biggest mentors in life was my eighth grade math teacher. When I came into class and he noticed that I was sad or something like that, he would always pull me aside and be like, hey, talk to me. What's going on? What What's up with you? You, you? you just sit back today. You you don't need to worry about the assignment. Just take time for you. And that was really amazing to have that type of person in my life. In seventh grade, it was also a really rough year because I lost my grandma. And she was a very big supporter in me and my choices and wanting to do theater and all these different things. And when I lost her, I had another teacher who was my science teacher, who was like my mom at school. My mom at home is amazing and I love her, but she was kind of like my mom at school because I spent so much time there that whenever I was having a bad day, she would talk to me. And so a lot of my journey has been influenced by my teachers because they've helped in more ways than I can ever describe.
0: So let's talk about how the pandemic has changed things. Do you think that it's harder for people who are trying to figure out how to connect with mental health resources to do that?
3: I think in some ways it's a lot harder and in some ways it's a lot easier. With being virtual, you don't run into people in the halls. It's just in a different environment. So that's changed a lot, but I still do what I can to help.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And then for you, how has the pandemic been for your own mental health?
3: I mean, not great. There are some people who could never leave their houses and be completely content. And I'm not that type of person. I love to go somewhere and do something fun or hang out with friends. And that's shifted so much. But I have a lot of resources that I like to use that have helped me through like one of those things that I know we'll talk about later is social media. I was finally able to get social media and that was awesome to be able to connect with people in that way. But when I was feeling down about myself, I would try to take action to not feel down. And I think that's something that I've learned is really important and helped me through this time.
0: I love that you have concrete things you do. I want to talk about that in a second. We've been doing this pandemic thing for going on a year now. So, I think we're all reckoning just with the things that we've missed in this year. Tell me about some of the things that you've missed.
3: I am such a huge nerd. So I miss school so much. It, it feels so weird being at home and doing school because it doesn't even feel like it's school. I loved going to school and seeing people and seeing my teachers and being able to have that connection. And it's not as present anymore. We still get to talk to people, but it's not as fun as it used to be. That's a really big thing. Another thing that I really miss is playing d with my friends. There's just a lot of things that I feel like, especially with being in high school, that I'm missing out on. And we're all missing out. I'm not trying to say, well, this you should pity me because that's not what I'm saying. But I really miss being able to go swimming because I was on my school swim team. I miss being able to do marching band. We had a season this year, but it was very different from what it would normally look like because it was non-competitive, and that's one of the best parts about being in marching band. Outside of school, I really just miss seeing people, and I think that's a lot of the big things that just stink. I also really miss seeing movies.
0: So tell me more about the concrete things that you do when you're feeling disappointed that none of those things are happening right now.
3: Along with film, because if I'm feeling disappointed or sad, I'll usually just put on one of my favorite movies and feel better. But music is a very, very big part of my life. I've been playing piano for 11 years. And so if I feel sad, I'll just play the piano and feel much better. I like playing video games. So that's a lot of fun to be able to, you know, take anger out or just have fun During this time, I've also taken up boxing and boxing is a very lot of fun. So I'm very excited to actually be able to compete once this is all over. Besides those things, I'm very happy that I'm working now because work is a great outlet for getting away from school and home and just being able to work and interact with others. And then you didn't
0: have any social media before the pandemic, right?
3: That is correct. I actually I'm very happy that my parents didn't allow me to have social media growing up because even in 6th grade there was drama on Snapchat and Instagram and I'm like I don't need to be involved with that. And when the pandemic was starting to get very serious and we all had to stay home back in March, my parents were like, "Hey, typically you wouldn't be allowed to get this until you move out, but unprecedented times calls for this type of thing." And they allowed me to get different platforms of social media and that helped so much because I was able to connect with people that I hadn't talked to in years one of my best friends in elementary school I he moved away and I hadn't talked to him in five six years and just one day I saw he added me on Snapchat and I just thought it was the coolest thing to Talk to him and he hasn't changed. He's taller, but his face is still the same and he still loves sports. And it was just, it's crazy to be able to talk to so many people on just a couple different platforms. I view social media as a really good thing. I get that there's some suspicious activity, but it is a really great resource for connecting with family and friends. And I think that's super special.
0: Yeah. Tell me more about the adults in your life and what you maybe wish that people understood about how teens are dealing with the pandemic as far as mental health goes. Are there things that you think that they miss?
3: 100%. I think one of the biggest things that a lot of doctors need to realize is that I really appreciate when I go in for my physical, you give me that little paper that says, "Hey, do you feel sad or anxious?" A lot of the times Most teenagers, you know, will lie on those because they know if they don't, that's going to cause a lot of changes in their life. And I think a lot of the approach to teen and mental health is being very straightforward and we need to talk about this now and you need to start talking and you can't force people to talk if they don't want to. It's just, it's very silly in my mind to just have somebody be so vulnerable with somebody they don't know very well. I don't know my doctor that well. And then they hand me this thing that says, Hey, do you feel depressed? And I'm like, I mean, I, I, uh, what, why are you asking? I don't, what." and just, it's, it's very silly. And I think a lot of the approach that adults come up with, there are some experts that are very good at what they do and know what they're doing. And there are some people that try to mimic that and just fail. (laughs) And that's not to be rude to any parents or adults out there. But we, as a generation, we have a lot more causes of mental illnesses, a lot more different circumstances. It's a different world, and we need to change with the changing world.
0: That's Jack Rogoff. He's one of the teen panelists for the virtual event that I'll be hosting tomorrow at four. Life's not on hold. Teens navigate missed milestones. CPR is co-producing the event with Call to Mind, an American public media initiative. We'll be sharing mental health solutions as we talk with two other teens, as well as a school social worker and an advocate for youth mental health who wrote the book that inspired the movie Mean Girls. You are also an important part of that discussion. You'll be able to ask the panelists questions during the live Q&A. Register for free at CPR.org. Colorado is facing a critical shortage of early childhood educators. Training prospective educators in high school could prove to be a significant way to build a pipeline of teachers. In the next installment of her series on expanding Colorado's early childhood workforce, CPR education reporter Jenny Brundine travels to the St. Frame Valley School District in
2: Longmont. This intro to ECE is a big umbrella class. We talk about it all the time. We're in
4: Wendy Howenstein's 7.45 a.m. Introduction to Early Childhood Education class. Here, high school students are about to present lesson plans they've created. As we go through the slides and people share lessons, go ahead and comment on the one. Howenstein tells them school teachers shouldn't work in a vacuum, so students should provide feedback to their classmates' lesson plans. Howenstein directs St. Vrain's Pathways to Teaching, or PTEach teach program. It's one of the district's industry pathway programs. Students take college-level classes that will set them on the path to being
2: teachers. Uh, so, Grace, could you go ahead and share? Yeah, of course.
4: 18-year-old Grace shares a wheel she's designed for young children to share their feelings.
5: When they're feeling something, I'll be like, okay, well, get out your wheel Show me what you're feeling and then what you need in that.
4: Grace Wardle is a senior at Niwot High School. This is a Zoom class, but typically Grace would start her day at the district's Innovation Center in Longmont for her P-Teach classes. Then she returns to Niwot for her regular high school classes. But it's the P-Teach classes that have really captured her.
5: We do projects together
0: and we're constantly working together as if you would like in a school.
4: Students also get real-life experiences in a district classroom, In intro to special education, for example, they spend time supporting teachers in special education classrooms. They'll even create lessons for the classes. Attracting into the program students of color and those who are the first in their family to go to college is a big focus. Wendy Howenstein says they're severely underrepresented in teaching.
3: It gives them that confidence that they really
2: need when they're embarking on something that looks like a long, like a four-year academic program. They have that confidence to feel like they can do it. Hauenstein
4: is talking about what happens to P-Teach students after high school. Many enter college programs to become early childhood educators. At the same time, they're part-time paid apprentices in St. Brain schools.
1: Do you want to put your hands in place?
4: It's a crisp fall day. Ashley Rojas Carbajal is tying up jackets and pushing three and four-year-olds in swings. She's from Fort Lupton, graduated from Frederick High School last year. In her senior year, she was trying to decide between teaching and nursing. She checked out nursing, it wasn't for her, but she loved being around her little sister and cousins. A counselor told her about the p program.
7: I really like
5: preschool, they're very um, active, they, it's never boring, it's always a fun job. <laughs>
4: Now, Ashley works mornings as a paid apprentice with a mentor teacher in a district preschool. In the afternoons, she's a student at UC Denver. Her college classes have helped her observe her mentor teacher more closely, even the way she phrases questions.
0: How my teacher makes every kid feel connected and feel welcome. How many?
4: On Fridays, Ashley and her mentor teacher talk about the goals for next week's classroom and for each other.
0: And I've been able to see with my mentor teacher a little bit of why she does the things she does in class and what's her thought behind it to reach the goal.
4: P-teach's Wendy
2: Hauenstein says the program benefits the teachers as well. When these kids are in classrooms, those mentor teachers so step up their game and so engage. And for them, it's
4: so gratifying, right? Each apprentice also has a coach from the district, who shares ideas for activities in class, provides more support if they need it. Ashley, who's bilingual, is the first in her family to attend college.
7: I do feel really lucky. I, I was really
0: stressed beforehand. I did not know where I was going to go or how I was going to pay for anything, but it came out of nowhere. And- I really liked it.
4: The PTEach program pays for some of her education. And just as the district had hoped, she'd like to one day return and teach in the St. Vrain District. Meantime, high school senior Grace Wardle will graduate next year with a bunch of credits towards a bachelor's or associate's degree. She hasn't decided which yet, but one thing she knows, she'll be working with little kids one day.
5: It's so much fun. Like it's challenging at times, But as you grow with these kids and learn how to teach them and help them and support them in their
0: learning, it's like they're your sibling or like your kid.
4: I'm Jenny Brendine, CPR News.
0: Wildfires burned bigger and later than ever before in Colorado last year. But CPR's Sam Brash found the most alarming metric could be how fast some fires grew, outmatching predictions and even the best efforts of firefighters. I want you to get out of there immediately. The winds are probably 30 to 40 miles an hour. If you have to drive through the fire, drive through
7: the fire. Grand Lake Fire Marshal Dan Meyer knew the East Troublesome Fire was coming, not because he could see anything. We were covered under this blanket of uh, smoke all day. But from urgent calls over the radio.
1: Everybody needs to evac right now. Get out right now. 41 is starting to get overrun. You had your expectations. You were in disbelief. But then when you saw it coming this way... It got scary.
7: Grand Lake is a vacation spot on the western edge of Rocky Mountain National Park. The fire had been a safe distance from town just a few hours earlier. But at 8.50 p.m., it arrived. Not as a wall of flame, but as a fireball.
1: Um, we watched what looked like kind of a small meteor come out of the sky and land in the field. And within 30 seconds,
7: turned into about a 50 by 50 fire in the trees.
5: We need to get everybody out of Columbine.
0: They're going to get flanked.
7: Meyer quickly ordered firefighters out of Columbine Lakes, a subdivision near town.
3: Copy all units in the Columbine Lake area needs
7: to evacuate. The fire did enter the neighborhood, burning homes and killing one couple. But luckily, it only grazed the town itself. The only thing that was on our side was the wind took it that way. The way that thing came through, you still couldn't have stopped it. And the fire wasn't done. As the evening wore on, it would storm into the National Park, jump the Continental Divide, and even threaten Estes Park. When the sun rose, the East Troublesome had burned through about 100,000 acres, making it the second largest fire in state history and by far the fastest growing.
1: If anyone would have asked me if it was possible for this fire to grow more than 100,000 acres in one day, I would have laughed. Fires don't grow that fast.
7: But fires are growing that fast. Global warming has helped turn large areas of the western U.S. into a tinderbox. And last summer and fall saw rapid blowups hit Colorado, California, and Oregon. Now, scientists are looking back at those events.
3: With the idea that that can help us predict when they're going to occur and maybe even help us figure out ways to deal with them moving forward.
7: This is Chad Hoffman, a fire scientist at Colorado State University. He's helped assemble a team to study Colorado's recent extreme wildfire events. He says they share some basic causes, high winds, dry fuels, warm temperatures. And all of those things are kind of aligning together. And all of which are becoming more common due to climate change. According to Hoffman's team, over the last two decades, Colorado's fastest-growing fires accounted for more than half of all the acres burned. But these fires are also really hard to predict. Take the East Troublesome. The blow-up happened after the fire plume. This massive mushroom cloud sunk to the ground. Firefighters guessed this was something called a column collapse.
3: This is sort of like shooting a
7: garden hose at, at a sidewalk. It hits the earth and spreads out in all directions, so it creates... Pretty extreme conditions. Brad White is the chief of the Grand Fire Protection District. Before its historic run, he says the fire plume did change dramatically. That column was no longer lofting into the air, but all, all that smoke was pretty much laid flat to the ground and, and and spread out for miles. Have you seen that sort of fire behavior before? Uh, I, I have not. These sort of events are a blind spot for firefighters. Almost all their current prediction models account for how weather affects fire, but not how fire affects weather. Hoffman says scientists are still trying to understand those sorts of feedback loops and their role in big blow-ups. But better predictions won't stop fast fires.
0: A lot of the public would love if we could just say, if we did this,
4: we're going to stop all fires. And that's never going to happen.
7: This is Camille stevens Ruman, a CSU fire ecologist and another member of Hoffman's team. She says if people want to prevent big blow-ups, the answer isn't putting out every fire as soon as it starts. It's actually encouraging more, slower fires. You could have a lot of area burned.
4: But if all of that is burning at low severity, you don't see a lot of forest change.
7: That means more prescribed burns to reduce fuels and probably just letting some fires go. Chief White says that reality has only sunken deeper as his community rebuilds. Probably need to be looking at prescribed burns that are in the thousands of acres. And I think those kind of efforts in the future are, are going to be what uh, is able to, to, to keep the bulk of our community safe. Because he says without smaller, predictable fires, the next East Troublesome isn't a matter of if but when. I'm Sam Brash, CPR News. Sam's
0: story is part of a special series on wildfires in Colorado produced by CPR's climate team. You can find this and additional stories at CPR.org. Finally today, if you were in Colorado in the 1970s, chances are you might recognize this song.
3: You are the woman that I've always dreamed of. I knew it from the start. I saw your face, and that's the last I've
0: seen of my heart. You are the woman was a top 10 hit for Firefall, the Colorado Music Hall of Famers formed in Boulder in 1974. Over their career, the band toured with the likes of Fleetwood Mac, Chicago, and the Doobie Brothers. They epitomized the Colorado sound of the 70s, a breezy, soft rock blend of country and pop.
3: The that I've
0: Decades later, Firefall still tours, although set lists have pretty much stuck to their hits from their early heyday. Hungry for new material, the band recently entered the studio and recorded 10 new tracks. Released last month, Comet is very much a throwback to Firefall's 1976 debut. From the album's celestial cover art to its classic rock vibe, on songs like A New Mexico.
1: That's that I walked on the beach holding hands With an angel I just newly found down heard a great salsa band There was music, romance, and love all around We stopped the heads of time for a little while In a dream with you, I was fully awake
5: What a difference a year can make In who I am and where I am
0: New music from a nostalgic band. That's Firefall with the track A New Mexico. Their album Comet is out now. That's Colorado Matters for today. Thank you for joining us, and thank you to the team that brings this show to air.
1: Carl Bielek.
2: Ali Budner. Andrea Dukakis.
1: Michelle Fulcher. Matt hers Michael Hughes.
2: Carla Jimenez.
1: Pedro Lumbrano.
2: Alexandra
0: McMahon. Patrice Mondragon.
1: Shane Rumsey. Ryan Warner.
0: And I'm Avery Lil. This is CPR News.